This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. uses every circumstance in our lives for our benefit and for his glory. He uses the good, the bad, and the ugly to transform us and to draw others to us. Today's guest is a perfect example and illustration of how God uses and redeems it all. So let me tell you about today's guest. Todd Isburner was founder and president of Share Media Services, a fundraising consulting company working with Christian radio as well as humanitarian faith-based ministries. With over four decades of experience, Todd became the leading expert in Christian broadcast fundraising, both domestically and internationally. He and his teams have taken their positive fundraising approach to hundreds of radio stations, producing over 3,000 broadcast fundraisers and raising over $2 billion for media and nonprofit ministries. In 2015, Todd merged his company, Share Media, with Dunham & Company, a fundraising agency based in Dallas, Texas. Now retired from fundraising, Todd draws from his years of experience in training, consulting, and coaching, and devotes his time to mentoring men along their journey of faith. He is the author of the book, What Every Man Needs to Know, How to Master Faith, Family, Fitness, and Finances. Todd and his wife, Wendy, also co-host their podcast, Your Biggest Breakthrough. Todd, it is so great to have you here on the show. Welcome to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership and to The Voice of Leadership. Uh, thank you, Dr. Karen. I, I really appreciate being here. I have gotten to know you a little bit ahead of time in a couple of conversations, and I'm delighted to be part of your work and will just do my very best today to uh, give your listeners uh, a perspective that maybe they haven't uh, heard or seen before. I really appreciate that. And of course, in our new friendship, I'm delighted to have you here as well, because I know that you do have something to share that's going to be of great value and benefit to my audience today. So thank you, Todd. I'm glad to have you here. And Todd, I want to go back and start with your fundraising business first and ask you some questions about that. And then we'll come up to the present and what you're doing now. So let me put it this way. Prior to your current career, where you're helping men to rediscover who they are and how to live successful and fulfilled lives, you did fundraising for Christian ministries through your company, Share Media. Now, what I know is that fundraising can be very difficult work, yet you and your company raised more than $2 billion for your client organizations. And you also won the Christian Music Broadcasters Industry Achievement Award. So, Todd, this is quite successful. What were you doing to achieve this kind of success? How were your fundraising campaigns different or unique from what others were doing? Tell us about it. Yeah. So, uh, well, first and foremost, fundraising 
can be an extremely painful, challenging process if you don't like it. We decided right from the get-go we really liked it because we formed a perspective on fundraising that really had to do with the donor and their world and what they wanted to accomplish through the ministry they wanted to support. So the first thing we had to do is just sort of adopt a real solid mindset about the value of fundraising, the joy that could come from fundraising and helping people partner with their ministry. Even though some feel it's like, man, how can you do that? You're asking, but you got to twist arms. And all this. Uh, somebody said somewhere along the line, blessed are the fundraisers, they shall sit at the right hand of the martyrs. So I'm not sure if that's exactly true or not, <laughs> but it can be uh, misunderstood from some of the past scandals, if you will, throughout history. But again, our approach was, let's keep it very positive. Let's make certain that the donor feels like they're not being talked into anything, but they're actually being given an opportunity to steward what God has given them to support his work. And we would just take that same messaging, that same philosophy, those same principles, and we would embed that into our clients so that after working with us for a while, they started to love fundraising too. That was the whole goal. I love that because you actually were taking some gifts that you had and you were using them to benefit someone else and you were keeping the donor front and center, you know, right at the top of mind. Yeah. In fact, we have a unique style of fundraising. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, challenge. There's some competition. There are some contests. Uh, we keep it very, very lively, very fast moving because these are all live on the radio broadcasts. We call them pledge drives or radiothons or shareathons. But you've got to really be on top of your game. And the way we did that is we constantly strove to be more creative than than anybody else who was raising money. How can we make this an enjoyable experience? How can we make it so listenable for the listener that when they hear, oh, they got a fundraiser going on, rather than tune out, they want to stay tuned in. So we actually engaged our listeners constantly on the air. They really became the people who asked for the support because they gave the best stories. So we sort of just orchestrated all of that. We kept it fun. We kept it lively. We featured them. And we made certain that anybody who was behind a microphone would look at the sign on the wall where we had several pronouns. We had the pronoun we, me, I, and us. And those pronouns all had a big X through them. And then we had two pronouns, you and yours. And those are the ones that we insisted that we use when we're talking with our listeners. Oh, I love that too. That is great. You were really keeping the focus in the right place. And you talked about being creative and making it fun. What's an example of something that might happen on one of these share or whatever, such that you're featuring a guest or you're getting a story? Give us a picture of it so we can imagine with you what it was like. I could go back to some of the crazy days in the early days, but I'm not so sure I want to go there. I mean, we would have some of the radio talent offer to shave their head if we hit a certain goal or to uh, you know go out in the street and dance in public, just kind of goofy things like that. But honestly, the things that were most effective that I think really engaged the listeners were the stories of those who wanted to provide like a matching gift. So those could become pretty intense. So you may have a donor, for example, who offers $5,000 to the ministry, but they put contingencies on it and they would set a timeline. They would maybe say, you've got 30 minutes and it's going to be all or nothing. Either we as listeners can raise $5,000 cumulatively. And if we do, I'll throw in my $5,000 match. 
And if we don't, I keep it, and that's the way it is. So that would add some extra sense of urgency, sort of limited opportunity. And I'm telling you, the heightened level of excitement and energy and joy and the phones just sort of blowing up in the web, I think is just a good example of keeping things creative. Once we realized the power of matches, we literally came up with about 10 different variations of those matches. And then we would offer them to the donor and let them kind of pick, well, which way would you like to go as you challenge your fellow listeners on a match challenge? Oh, I love that. Having options and choices, people get to give the way that they want to give. (laughs) That is so profoundly true. (laughs) And I always would get frustrated when our clients would limit the opportunities for the donors to get involved. So years ago, it used to be three, four, five-day pledge drives once a year. And it's kind of like, let's open up the door, put down the welcome mat for these five days, tell them to come on in, and then we're done. And it's like, yeah, but what if I miss that? Or what if I don't want to give to you on your pledge drive? What if I want to give via email or through a phone call or some other means? You've got to put the doormat out there. So we started to shift our thinking and say, what is the most convenient thing we could offer to the donors? How, how do they want to get involved? And one of the ways we did that is we kept very careful data on every single donor to find out what their preferences are, when they gave, how much they gave, how they wanted to give, what their format and style was in giving. And once we started to collect that, it made us easier to develop more personal relationships with that donor so it wasn't just a mass of people throwing money into the bucket. Yeah, so that's great. So, Todd, you were really... Uh, going the extra miles so far as having lots of options yeah. and convenience and studying people and seeing what it is that they preferred. So, Todd, how did you get into this fundraising business to begin with? Yeah, I never, ever planned on that. As a little boy, 8, 9, 10, 11, all through those years, I really thought I would go- I was going to be either a Hollywood actor, a famous celebrity who, and I I would literally in the bathroom mirror, I would practice my Academy Award acceptance speeches. But I was a little conflicted because I also, growing up in the Catholic Church and had a wonderful, devout, reverent relationship, I wanted to be a priest too. So I thought, okay, here's an interesting conflict, right? And so when I got into high school, actually, I had an opportunity to go to seminary before high school, but I turned it down because I just wanted to check out just a year or two at my local hometown high school. And boy, I had the priests and the nuns telling me, don't do that. Don't do that. You'll never end up in the priesthood. And I thought, no, I'll be fine. Well, midway through my first year of high school, The furthest thing from my mind was the priesthood. And that's because I discovered girls and parties and athletics and just kind of wild living. So that went away. I ended up getting married at a very early age, uh, and that ended in a very unwanted, uh, painful divorce that put me in a place of really trying to find out who in the world I really am and how I got into this mess And I had to look in the mirror and find out, oh, so that's the person responsible right there. And I had some neighbors who were offering me an opportunity to talk with their pastor. And uh, in the the process of um, meeting that pastor, I got to hear the gospel for the very first time. Now, again, I I grew up in a devout environment, religious environment, but I really didn't understand the gospel. A lot of it was tucked away in my head. It never really made a whole lot of difference in my life. It was sort of God was sort of the cosmic being way out there. I understood Jesus. Yeah, we went on a cross and all that, but it never really personalized it. And this pastor uh, 
so lovingly uh, listened to my very painful story about how my wife left me for another man and just all the unfairness in life and blah, 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 blah. He listened so patiently. And he said, Todd, I really appreciate you being so honest and vulnerable and transparent, but I got to tell you, yeah, this whole thing is your fault. And I mean, it just about knocked me backwards. I thought, is this guy not listening to me? Like, I'm a victim of trouble here. And he says, it's my fault. I said, well, my, what do you mean my fault? He said, well, Todd, you see, you got to get right with God. And I said, well, right with God? Well, I go to church once in a while, and you know, and I'm pretty good, and <laughs> I'm trying to justify my behavior. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to tell me how to get my wife back. Yeah, he said, I can't do that. I thought, what good is this guy? I said, well, what can you do? Big smile on his face. Well, I can tell you how to get right with God. So, I mean, I literally leaned back in all arrogance in my chair, and I said, oh, all right, well, all right, well, tell me how to get right with God. Give me a little spiritual advice. <laughs> this is where God snuck up on me and took me by surprise because he asked me if I ever heard of the four spiritual laws, and I, I said no. And he started to go through them, that God made you, he loves you, he's got a plan for your life, but you're not experiencing that. Why is that? And then he talked about sin, talked about our separation from God, and then he talked about Jesus on the cross paying the price for my sin. And when we got to that point, Dr. Karen, I mean, I, it, it just God came there in that room, and it all made sense. And I literally was propelled to my knees. Uh, I was so embarrassed and ashamed of the life that I lived, the arrogance that I had discounting God in my life. And I mean, I just, I felt, I didn't understand why God didn't squash me like a bug. It's like, wow, how did you put up? So I'm literally, I'm crying in sorrow. Then God very lovingly seemed to just open up the eyes of my heart. And he showed me Jesus on the cross. And then it all made sense. I thought this kind of love I've never experienced before. And then I started to cry, just literally tears of joy, just thanking God over and over. And then just inviting Jesus, come into my life, change me, make me the man you want me to be. So that was a drastic, dramatic change in my life. And I was so on fire by what I believe the Spirit of God was doing in me that I wanted to go tell others about Jesus. So I literally sat down with the yellow pages, because that's what we had back then, and I'm trying to find any religious organization I could go work for so I could tell people about Jesus. That's how I ended up in fundraising. Some people came to me at church as I uh, introduced me to a church, and I sharing my story, and somebody came up to me and said, we may have a job opening for you. And it was in their little fundraising company. And I thought, oh, this sounds great. I had no idea, of course, what I was going to do. I'm brand new in the faith. But that was the beginning stages, and I did that for a year and a half on these little pledge drives, and then had an opportunity to buy the company for $1,500 and the rights to four clients. So away I went. <laughs> Wow, what a, what an illustrious beginning. There's so much to unpack here. So let me ask this. You were raised in a faith-based family. You were raised Catholic. And yet there was something that wasn't quite there. And so when you met this pastor and he was sharing with you at a maybe I'll say deeper and more profound level, what did you find? How would you describe the difference between where you were early in your life and where you were after you went through this experience with the pastor. Some people are saying, well, you know, like you said, or I go to church, I do this, I do the other. Well, what's the big deal difference? When I was a little boy, I really loved God. I, in fact, I wanted to see him. 
I remember on my knees numerous times with a crucifix, and I'd say, Jesus, why can't you just appear to me? Like He just gave me a love for him that you know, I didn't go and, out and have to find or read about or, or anything. It was just there. Uh, so I think I had, I had that advantage, and it allowed me to appreciate the religious experience in the Catholic Church, going to Mass and serving the bishop and all of that. But, you know, again, when I got into high school, everything changed, and I dropped all of that, and it's like I turned left and went away from God. Uh, and I really, I went through 10 years of rebellion. You know, I had to pay a big price for that. And all the while, I'm thinking I'm okay because, I mean, after all, I'm Catholic and I still go to church once in a while and I'm not, you know, I'm not a horrible thief and a murderer and all that. So you sort of justify your good behavior and you think, well, so you're okay. But I really, I understood at that point in time, the relationship with God as religion and performance. And it was so much different when I received the Spirit of God into me. Again, I... I didn't have to go figure this out. God just revealed, no, it isn't about your performance. You could never perform good enough <laughs> to pay for what your sinful nature is all about. Only Jesus could. And when I experienced that level of love, I understood, no, no, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about reading the Bible and going to a church where there are other believers who appreciate that sort of love from God. You know, I think that's really the key right there. It's not about religion. It's really about relationship. And it's all centered in love and really more the love that God has for us, which is what draws us to even love him in return. And I'm thinking, okay, you were coming full circle because as a little boy, you had the love for God. You wanted the relationship with God so much that you wanted God to manifest himself to you to show up so you could see him in that sense. And so, then you went through this period where you maybe didn't see him in that way, but then God does answer that prayer. And when we get to the point of life where you're describing it now, he shows you himself in a more profound way and in relationship and the transforming power you know, of his presence in your life. I think that's just a beautiful story, really a beautiful part of what you're talking about. So I want to ask this. You were determined early on to go into the priesthood. And then you also had this vision of being an actor, an award-winning major actor and accepting the Academy Award and all of this. So when you think about where God led you, even to this fundraising, let's say at that point, how did this fit into both of those visions? Because God doesn't waste anything. Everything is relevant. So how do you understand that? It's funny because um, I don't know how long I was into my fundraising career. It might have been five years or so. And I suddenly realized that the dream of being an actor was partially being fulfilled because I was a performer on the radio, trying to be as entertaining and engaging as I possibly could to help listeners understand that supporting this ministry with their money was a really good idea. So I really felt gratified from that standpoint. And then the other part of it, being a priest, I had a whole new understanding definition of priesthood, someone who wants to help connect people who don't know God to God. And so that part of it was even being carried out through the ministries that we were helping, because that's what their ministry was all about, connecting people to God. So I really kind of felt like God brought these two wonderful dreams and desires and passions of my life, brought them together in something I would have never expected. And I almost feel like he opened up a back door and kind of walked me through it. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in this world 
raising money and and being a priest in a really exactly. in a really fun way. And uh, yeah, so that, I think that's how he blended the two together for me. I love that. That is just so wonderful. And you really had a chance to experience the royal priesthood mm. of God, which is even beyond a more limited view, let's say, of priesthood, whether we we're talking about in an Old Testament sense or in, let's say, Catholic sense, when you think of priest, that's a more limited way. But the royal priesthood is certainly unlimited. We're all priests of God going all over the place to do his work for his glory. So, it's always amazing to me how God answers the heartfelt prayers of a child, if you will, and manifests that in our lives later on. He doesn't forget. He's the one who plants the dream in you, just as he did with Joseph when uh, Joseph was there with his brothers. And he saw these visions of what he would become, had no idea how or what it would mean, or even the hardships that he would have to go through in order to get there. So yeah, that, I really love that part of your story and just being able to look back on it with a 2020 vision, if you will. Yeah, and how true it is that God does plant those desires in us. And it's a question of whether or not we're going to recognize them and then respond to them. Sometimes maybe they don't seem that achievable, but with God, all things are possible. I always encourage those who feel like they have this dream and they just don't know how to go about it, just Talk to God about it. He put the dream in there in the first place. <laughs> He'll work it out. He'll work the how out. Just keep keep pressing forward in it. Amen to that. So in this fundraising business, how did clients find you back in those days? You know, this is, uh, it's kind of crazy. We never spent a single dollar on advertising. It was all purely word of mouth. The Christian radio world is somewhat small and pretty tight, so relationships are strong. So once you develop relationships, you can network pretty easily. And uh, this is one of the things we prided ourselves in, and that is our client wasn't just a, a fee-paying client. Our client was our friend. A client was our partner in ministry. And they really felt that. That's, why I think, why we had such longevity, 40 two years with one of my clients. Can you imagine <laughs> the same client all the way through? I got to see kids grow up, grandkids appear. So I think the, the, the longevity came as a result of our consistency and the trust we built through friendships. The word just got out from others telling others about us. Uh, and you know, we would put a, a newsletter out once in a while and we would show up at the, all of the trade conventions, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention and that sort of thing. But, but once word got out, uh, people started to come to us because they would hear the, um, the experience another client would have, and it was one that they wanted because, again, most people start out, I don't like fundraising. I, I don't, I'm uncomfortable asking people for money. That's where most people come from. When they hear there's a group that not only has success in doing that, but they really like doing that, <laughs> that excites them. And I can tell you, Dr. Kearney, in all honesty, there were many times I felt like, like our, we called our, our radio personnel hosts, like our hosts when they were on the air wanted it more badly than anybody else at that radio station. They put in incredibly long hours. They would, I mean, they would just bleed and sweat and cry and just, they wanted it so badly because they, they understood what the outcome would be. Not just reaching the financial goal, but the outcome means reaching more people for Jesus. And that's what fueled our staff. And I think that when you're around people like that, it's pretty hard to say no, and it's pretty easy to say, can you come help us? 
Yeah, you're really talking about the importance of having a profound sense of purpose and understanding the impact of the ministries. It's not just about the money. It's about how the money is helping the ministry to live out its purpose on the planet, on the earth, and to really change and transform lives in so many different ways. And I'm also hearing you talk about how we're talking about the relationship with God, that vertical relationship. And now we're talking about the horizontal part of how you're related to the clients and then how you both are related to the donors. And it's all about relationship in terms of what's really making the difference, you know, in the world. That's what I'm hearing you say also, Todd. You're a natural born fundraiser. Right there. I'm telling you right now, you get it. <laughs> you really do. But, you know, even as you're sharing that basic principle about the same purpose being mission-driven, this applies to non-ministries as well, right? I mean, it, it applies to every mainstream company out there. Is everybody on the same page with the same purpose and the same mission? And is the outcome of that mission making a difference in people's lives? Whether they're buying a pair of socks on social media, it doesn't really matter. Is it the same vision, the mission, the purpose. Because when others feel that, see that, and experience that, it's going to make that company all the more strong, dependable, credible, successful. Absolutely. And, you know, when secular companies fail to get this and they don't put it in place, this is when you start losing people because they don't have a reason. They don't have a why. They don't understand the bigger vision of what the company is there to be in business for. So you're right. We all need connection to that greater story, if you will, or that greater sense of purpose or the why that's related to this. So I want to ask you this, Todd, your fundraising company worked principally with Christian ministries. How was that different, let's say, from doing business with secular companies, since we're starting to talk a little bit about secular companies? Yeah, so, I mean, there's no question that the ministries we worked with, uh, were they were, they were kingdom-oriented. They were mission-driven. All of those clients that we worked with had that same kind of mission. And so from our standpoint, especially when we had new staff come into you know, our, our team, uh, the expectation is, well, since we're all Christians and we're all in, quote, ministry and we're all mission-driven, well, then this would be a great place to work because everybody's going to be really nice and they're going to be just so Christian. They're going to be living like Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, people are people are people. In fact, I'm convinced because I've worked on both sides of the fence and I'm convinced that there's as much, if not more, dysfunction inside of ministries as there are inside of secular companies. You can't go anywhere and not find a level of dysfunction. But a lot of people come into it thinking, well, there shouldn't be any in Christian ministries, because we're all Christians and Bible-believing, and we're going to be like Jesus. Yeah, well, that's true. We're still sinners, and we still sin every day, and we offend each other. And then on top of that, we pile on these expectations on our fellow workers. Like, well, they shouldn't do that because they're a Christian, and we're in a ministry together. (laughs) So you start putting all of these added pressures and expectations and judgments on, and it can get really kind of crazy inside of ministries. But there's this common thread that keeps everybody together, and that is, but we do love Jesus, and we are serving him, and we're going to do our best to love and serve each other. So with that sort of, you know, undergirding the ministry, there's always hope for continual change and improvement. Yes, always hope for continual change and improvement, and the Holy Spirit power 
to actually affect the change and improvement. So I would say, yes, we forget that there was only one person who lived on the earth who was totally perfect. And if we could do it without him, then we wouldn't have a need for Christianity, right? So so every day, you know, it's like we have to abide in the vine, so to speak, and be connected, you know, to him for our sustenance and everything we do. Oh, I cannot give you a big enough amen on that because as I've mentored men, I've mentored men for many, many years. Now I'm just doing it full time, but I'll, I'll find some who they, they, I want to be like Jesus. And so they, they start trying to grind it out. I had one guy who said, I'm literally going to do everything in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to do it letter perfect. And I thought, well, good luck on that. And it was just a few weeks, and he came back and said, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't do it. It's impossible. I said, that's the whole point. You see, being a Christian is not an imitation of Jesus. It's a participation in the life of Jesus. And just what you said, Dr. Karen, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to live his life, the life of Jesus, in and through us. Because guaranteed, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of his Spirit, not you. If the fruit of the Spirit is patience, guaranteed Todd's patience is like this deep and I'll run out like that. But God's patience is unlimited. So if we depend upon the Holy Spirit, we really can make these changes. Yeah, in a sense, we're like we're like a conduit. We're like a vessel through which he works almost like I think about an electricity, electric current that's flowing through something. The power is there. We may be the earthen vessel. We may be the tube or the cord, but God is the one who's really doing the work through us. And when we forget that, we kind of create almost like a new law in today's time to want to live a pharisaical life from a Christian sense. And you know what? No one can do that. The people, you know, from God's people back in the Old Testament days, they couldn't do it. And we can't do it either. And if we could, we would have no need for a savior, so to speak. And I think that's just an important thing to keep in mind because people sometimes think that Christianity is just a new set of rules and regulations when in fact it isn't. We're talking about God's earlier promise of writing his law on the hearts of his people. And that's what's being manifested in today's time is God writing his law on the hearts of his people in a profound way. There was a real before and after picture in my life, you know, before Christ, and during those 10 years of rebellion, just just a, just a hellish life. And then the after, uh, receiving Christ, letting the Holy Spirit empower me. Because prior to that, it was like I had to be in control of everything. I really was my own God, and that's when on my knees I felt so ashamed before God that well, how could I possibly be so arrogantly think that I could control anything? It's all His. The change can be pretty dramatic. I don't wish that on anybody. I don't wish like, why don't you go rebel for a while and then you'll have this transformation. I love it when people grow up developing and maturing their relationship with the Lord. In my case, uh, there was enough of a change. It shocked my family members, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, friends. It's like, this guy's a Jesus freak now. What happened to him? And uh, just quickly, but the beautiful story was that every single one of my family members over a five-year period Uh, came to their own personal place of faith in Jesus and all had their own transformation by the Holy Spirit. And then their kids and uh, and now grandkids. So it has that ripple effect, but we have to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Think about that. When the light is shining brightly, it can't help but have an impact. And that's really what you're talking about. Yeah. So we're light bearers 
We're not generating the light. However, we are reflecting the light. And therefore, through us, God gets to do his transforming work on the earth that he has ordained and decided to do with us and through us, which is just a powerful picture. So you're really painting the picture that when that transformation occurs, it doesn't just stay in one place. It has a ripple effect. And that's just so powerful. So I thank you for stating it in that way. So let me ask you this, you know, when you think back over this more than 40 years that you led your company, what would you say was the number one lesson you learned about leadership? Mm. We, you know, we touched it on it earlier a little bit, and that is helping each person see their purpose and helping them get a vision then with that purpose and then helping them set goals. So we did that with those who were on our team and we did that with our clients. And I think probably the, the, the number one lesson for me in that was let's stay very focused on who we are and what we're doing. And a couple of sort of adjoining lessons with that was I really felt like it was important to empower them, empower our staff. Each one of them needed to really feel the authority and the power to carry out their role within the company, not just with excellence or not just the way Todd wanted it, but the way God wanted it. So I, it wasn't easy at first for me because I was a control freak, man. I wanted everything just right. So I'd kind of lean over people's shoulders to see, are you doing it this way or that way? So God really had to work with me first to begin to let go and start to trust him and then start to trust them. And the more they felt empowered, the more I noticed they started to function like owners. When I left the company, we had about 20 people involved, and they literally like were 20 owners. They had that level of commitment and responsibility and joy in their role and in their job. And I think that makes all the difference in, in the world as a leader. Can you empower your people enough to really entrust them to be like an owner? I think that's a very profound concept, whether we're talking about a corporate business in the traditional sense or an entrepreneurial business. Life is easier and better in the business when more people treat the business as if they are owners. I have clients saying to me, how do I get my people to act like owners of the business? Because they know that their results are going to be profoundly better when that happens. So yes, when you can pull back and allow their gifts to thrive and allow God to work through them and they can show up for the 100% plus of all that they are and all they have to contribute, it's easy to take on the mindset of an owner because you have the freedom to live out your unique gifts and abilities. So thank you for saying that, Todd. Yeah, and just like you said earlier, uh, in relation to something else, there can be a rippling effect. So every employee or every staff member that feels like they have the sense of ownership starts modeling actually for others to encourage. So it's got that ripple effect. Everybody wants to be in that place of owning what they do with excellence. Does a company not benefit incredibly by having a whole bunch of staff and employees act as owners? Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier, Todd, something about this earlier marriage that you had and how it ended in divorce and so on and so forth. And we know that God works through even our tough spots and the circumstances that are challenging and difficult. And at another time, you even described yourself as a lousy husband. And of course, this pastor person said to you, this is all your fault. So tell us a little bit about what you've learned 
about being a good husband and father, you know, a little bit of how you got from A, where you were, maybe to where you are now and where you're going. Well, I mean, number one, and this is going to sound so cliche but it's not about me. And I had, you know, it took a lot of pain to learn that it was not about me. In my first marriage, I had a lot of expectations. I had a lot of demands. I was a control freak. My wife literally found love in the arms of another man. And it's because when she came home, she wasn't coming home to a man who knew how to love her unconditionally. So, I mean, I understood that. Uh, unfortunately, it was too late because I had modeled all the wrong things as a husband for all those previous years. So that's why she ended up leaving the marriage. And that's what really God got to get my attention because I was so pride-filled and egotistical and arrogant that honestly, the last thing I thought would ever happen would be that my wife would leave me for another man. I mean, come on, look at here. And man, I'm telling you that that shattered my pride. That's what put my face in the dirt. And that was the best thing that God could have allowed to have happened for me. I needed to be in that place of really breaking. You know, I learned the hard way that it can't be all about you. It has to be all about God. And once I understood that, then I could go into the rest of life, putting him first, learning from him how to be a man, how to be a good husband, how to be a great father. I mean, I was a single dad. I had co-custody for 10 years. And um, I learned a lot about modeling fatherhood because I'd heard that oftentimes we develop the image of God as our father based on the relationship we had with our earthly father. So I knew there was a lot at stake. I wanted my children to understand the unconditional love that their dad had and the unconditional love that God had. And really spent a lot of time just mentoring my little girls, just teaching them, growing them up in their faith. And I mean, that that went a long ways. Both my daughters grown, give me lots of grandkids. They're living for the Lord. They worked for me for a while. And I, I couldn't be more proud of them. But that's all because uh, everything was in the right perspective with the right priorities. And uh, we put God first. I'm just so delighted about the notion that no matter what happens in the past, I think about Romans 8, 28, when, you know, we hear that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. So he takes even the messes and still uses them as a platform, foundation, teaching tool, some kind of a learning university and school so that we get from one place to the other. And in your case, without that sort of breakdown of sorts, he may not have gotten your attention. And so he speaks the language that each of us can understand, and we're all different. So that language is not always the same. And so I really appreciate you sharing with us how he spoke to you through those circumstances. So let me ask this, how now is your personal story informing the work that you do now with men? Why do those men even listen to you? Well, you know, if you've got enough of a track record in various areas of life, you at least have some familiarity of what others might be going through. And I think pain can be the greatest teacher of all. Oftentimes, the pain that we experience, even though we want to blame circumstances or blame other people, oftentimes the pain is generated by bad decisions we've made. So when I work with particularly younger guys in their 20s and 30s, and guys who are older, but I worked recently with a guy who is 60 years old and still needing to learn some of the foundational lessons in each one of these areas and primarily family relationships. But when you can take these experiences, and I've got 
years of those. I feel like I've lived like three or four lifetimes. I was married for a few years, single for a number of years, married again for a number of years, went through lots and lots of learning experiences in that, understood things from an experiential standpoint more so than from a, an intellectual head standpoint. Like I had asked God early on as a Christian, oh God, was my prayer. I want to love like you. Show me how to love like you. So I'm expecting a, maybe a book in the mail and I can read all about it, right? No, God gave me a person to love that needed unconditional love, but was extraordinarily hard to love. Probably just like me, I'm probably hard to love. And so when you can learn these lessons experientially, they're going to go a lot further. You'll then have earned the right, if, if I can put it that way, to share with others the things that you've learned to help them avoid the mistakes that you made so that in the learning process for them, it's quicker and it's easier. And honestly, that's my goal. Like I've been through a lot. I can relate to a lot of what you're going through, whether it's a financial problem, a relationship problem, a faith problem. But the lessons I've learned can help you kind of fast track it like now. And I think because of that experience and because of my age, I'm not some young buck just starting out, there's a level of believability and authenticity that guys can respond to pretty favorably. Yeah, when you've walked the journey, people know it because you're speaking a language that you can only speak if you've walked through those landmines yourself. And so when they hear that and they see that you've gotten through to the other side, okay, now that's a story I want to hear about. I want to know how you did it. This is not just book learning. This is life learning, and this is what I need. So I can imagine men really relating to that. So Todd, tell us what are some of the greatest issues and needs that men have today? What are men facing? It's funny because I think it all stems from one basic need that every man I know has. And I don't know if it was wired into us or if we just sort of this was learned from others around us, but it's simply this. Men have an incredibly hard time asking for help. And I think part of it is because our wiring is we want to be independent and we want to answer the question, am I man enough? Can I show up as a man and handle this? But the reality is, while that might be a driving desire within us, we can't always figure it out on our own. And the quicker we are to admit that I don't have all the answers, I'm not showing up like I'd like to, how can I change that? Rather than trying to gut it out for years and years and bang your head in a wall, how about we just ask for help? <laughs> so I find that those men who are the most open to wanting help and to wanting a, a real opportunity to learn and apply and grow, those are the men who are going to get there in a much faster, easier way than those of us who stayed stubborn for years and years and years. I would say that's the biggest issue that I find men deal with. Like, I don't, I, like, I got this, I got this. No, you don't have this. And the second thing is that men typically, because we're mavericks, we like to be independent, we like to show the world what I'm made out of, we flip this coin back and forth and one side of the coin is tough guy, so I can just sort of hide my weakness behind this tough macho guy. And then we flip it over, and unfortunately, as I'm seeing in some of the, the younger generations, there's this poor me guy who you know has been mistreated and misunderstood, and I'm just trying my best, and I, I don't know how I'm going to man up. And then there's an enablement that starts to take place, and it just goes south in a hurry because those are guys who are like, I don't want to put the effort in. Like, I just want somebody to do this for me, not teach me how to do it. 
So those are two really big challenges. And then just the third one is simply this. Men are typically loners. I cannot tell you how many men I run into who don't have another close friend, not even like one. Like they don't have a confidant, a best friend who's got their back. So we invite men into partnerships with other men, into small groups. And I cannot tell you how men begin to change so quickly when they realize, ha, I'm not alone. I'm not the only guy with this mess. So-and-so's got it. And then we partner together. We're like a band of brothers. We've got each other's back. You know, we're texting, we're calling, we're getting together. We're not just meeting once a week to Bible study, which we do, but we go much deeper than that. And I find that when men can overcome those three things, they're on a fast track to real solid growth in their lives. And it's exciting to see. Oh, I love that because you're really using Jesus' model of creating a band of brothers, so to speak, when he was mentoring his disciples and his apostles. I mean, that's really the methodology that he used as well. You're creating community that men don't easily and naturally create on their own, and yet our growth and our development occurs in that kind of intimate community like what you're talking about. So, you know, you are the author of the book, What Every Man Needs to Know. What is the major message of that book? And what is it that every man does need to know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, there's a whole bunch of things every man needs to know. The first thing he needs to know is he needs to know his creator, his Lord and his Savior. And that's really, that's where we started the book. That's the foundational piece that is how to master your faith. Because if we don't every single day continue to develop and mature in our relationship with God, we're going to slowly slip away and slip behind. It's just the way it is. I've walked with the Lord now for uh, 45 years, and I still know there's more for me to learn and to further for me to go. And so that's true in every one of these areas, our faith, our family relationships, our finances, and our fitness. And I make a pretty solid case for why it's so important for men to stay fit in mind, body, and spirit. And we go into a lot of details about fitness because if a man is too tuckered out and he's driving himself you know, just constantly so that he doesn't have good health anymore and he's overweight and he's sluggish and he's, and he's crabby and he doesn't show up at home, it can all be changed. That's probably the easiest one to change, in my opinion. It's just, all right, here's your what, here's your why, here's the how, let's go do it, and then stay accountable in it. But yeah, every man needs to know that he's got a lot better chance of actually growing if he'll partner with others who are on the same track and can learn from others and are willing to be mentored. Look, I've still got mentors. I'm 72 years old. I'm not too old to learn something new. And you're never too young to learn a better way. And that's kind of my mantra. So, you know, you you can actually get way beyond where you think you can. You just need a little help in doing it. Well, I think something is really profound in what you said there, too. I mean, it starts, of course, with knowing the creator. That's different from knowing about the creator. You're really talking about truly knowing the creator, having that intimate relationship. You know the difference because you've been on both sides. And so you can help men recognize that even in themselves. And then you're talking about what I'm going to call a bit of leverage, How do you leverage even your physical fitness, let's say, so that it affects your mind and your spirit, not just your body? So you can start with one place, but you're affecting multiple places simultaneously so that that man becomes more whole and more fit in general and able to 
I will say serve his family and serve his community in a more profound way. So I think that leverage piece is really a key to what you're saying as well. I love that word leverage. And you're so right about that. And I'm convinced that if you can get yourself in shape and you can only get yourself in shape by hurting yourself, you, you got to have some pain in the process. I don't mean kill yourself, but I mean, there's has to be discomfort in today's world where we're so soft. We don't like to be inconvenienced by discomfort. If you can, if your mind grows strong enough to tell your body what to do when it doesn't want to do it, you're going to have the discipline that can be applied in a lot of other areas of life. And the same is true for finances. When you are disciplined enough to tell your finances how they're going to be ruled by you, not your finances ruling you, when you're able to get to that point, again, that discipline is going to spill into all sorts of other areas of life. We go into a lot of specifics about those kinds of disciplines in the book. So even though you may not be, quote, in control of everything in your life, there is a leadership role that starts with as my book would say, leading yourself first. And you're talking about the discipline component of that. And I remember back to my army days, we used to have a phrase, it says, no pain, no gain. <laughs> you know? and that's, that's what you're also talking about right now as you're re referring to this. So Todd, as we said earlier, you know, God doesn't waste anything. So you had all of those years in the fundraising business. And so I want to ask you, in your role now as a man's coach, a men's coach, what are some of the most important principles that you are applying that you even learned from your earlier career? Well, you know, I'm going to touch on like we did earlier in, in terms of our company, and that is you, you first and foremost, you have to know your purpose. You got to answer that question. What on earth am I doing here? Because we would ask our clients, what on earth are you in ministry for? Like, what is your why? Then we can move more into the how. But with this is a starting point with guys, too. It's like there's a reason why God put you here on planet Earth. So do you know what that is? And we literally help them shape that purpose statement, if you will, so that when you get up, you've got something to look forward to. You realize, wait a minute, I'm here for a reason. How am I going to carry that out today? And then that leads into vision of what you know, God has called you to do. And then that leads into goals so that you can, in bite-sized chunks, begin to achieve your purpose in life. And so the same principles that we use with our clients, we can spill over and apply those kinds of principles in, in terms of our uh, mentoring men and having that solid foundation underneath us. And then the other thing is just like never satisfy. I mean, just keep going for something better. You've got the ability to improve. And as you improve, knowing it's not all about you, others are going to benefit and that's going to tie in with your purpose. Because once you discover why God put you here, you'll get more excited about contributing and investing in others around you. It's just not about you. It's about him first. And then it's about others. And when you figure out your purpose and you've got that solid foundation, you want to get better, God's going to fulfill his purpose and plan for your life. Amen to that. So, <laughs> When we think about, Todd, corporate executives, ones who may be working in secular environments, and I know you worked principally in a faith-based environment early on, I want you just to take a lens, though, of thinking about those guys out there who are working in a secular environment. How can that executive who is faith-based impact their company for Christ, even if it's a secular company? 
Well, first and foremost, it starts just again with continuing to grow deep in your relationship with the Lord. And that means every day, just finding time to spend with God in His Word, understanding who He is, uh, understanding His principles. So living that out is first and foremost the the key thing that every executive can do inside his or her company. Live it out. Live like you believe Jesus wants to live through you. And then look around your company and find the people who are modeling some of the things that you're living out and find out what do you like about what you're seeing because what you like about what you're seeing is likely a ripple effect from your modeling and your leadership. And that's got to really encourage you. I think that will build more momentum and motivation in you to keep shining as brightly as you can and being a servant to those around you. And I think, uh, again, as we discover just the opportunities that God puts in front of us, we don't always have to talk about our relationship with the Lord. He'll let us know when. He'll open up the door. You'll find it. You'll see, oh my goodness, here we are. Now I can open up to this person about God in a relationship because they've asked and they're open. But, you know, in the meantime, we get to do it. That famous phrase from St. Francis is, you know, at all times we are to witness for God. If necessary, use words. So we live it out and people will be attracted to that light and those principles and the godliness and the values that you live by. They're going to want to model after that. And then when there is opportunity to speak, speak the truth. Speak it in love, but don't compromise on the truth. Just speak it. Somebody's waiting to hear it, and God will give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I love that because living often speaks louder than the words, and living sometimes gives us the opportunity to use the words later. And you're saying, look around because you're, you are having an impact. You're making a difference, and you're building into other people's lives, and God will allow you to see sometimes just a little bit about how those buildings are coming along, and then you can be encouraged on your journey, knowing that you're making a difference in the workplace, making people better, and also making the company better at the same time. So, Todd, how can people reach you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they get your book? Mm. Well, the book is available on Amazon in three different formats. Uh, the print version, which I love to give the guys, that's this one because it's got a lot of space to write in if people still write these days. Uh, it's also available uh, in the Kindle version, and also I had a chance to narrate it in the Audible version, so uh, that was a lot of fun. And then just to contact me, just uh, toddisburner.com, and it's pretty, It's the spelling is I-S-B-E-R-N-E-R, Isburner. Com. We've got some free resources available there. You can email me if you want to find out a little bit more information or even just have a question about any of the things that we talked about today. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. And thanks for spelling your last name as well, because everybody might not yeah. get that. So as we're closing the show today, Todd, what would you say are your additional words of wisdom that you want to leave for my audience of corporate business executives and leaders? Well, I don't want this to sound too like overcooked in the easy department, but this, in my opinion, is a solid way to live your life, and that is just do your best for his glory. In everything that you think, in everything that you say, in everything that you do, if it is your best for his glory, then you will shine the light on him, and you will have a great impact on his behalf. And uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. That means over everything. And if we can live by that, then it's going to be easier for us to give our best for his glory. 
Amen to that. So thank you, Todd. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure to have you here today. And also I'll say to the audience that next time Todd will be here with me with his wife, Wendy, and she will join with Todd to talk about their marriage relationship and also the work that they do together with other married couples. So you don't want to miss that. Come back the next time and we get to see the power couple together in the next episode. <laughs> uh, Dr. Karen, thank you. You are too kind. I really appreciated the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, just, uh, I love who you are and what you're about. Thanks for giving me the opportunity today. You are so welcome. I'm just delighted to hear what you had to share with us today, the words of wisdom. So as we close out today, a couple of things I just want to say uh, to the audience just to keep in mind, and that is you are here for a purpose, and God is the power of that purpose. And as you discover it, he will move through you, just like we said earlier, that electricity and make you so bright that other people will be attracted to that light, which is ultimately being attracted to God for his glory. So you can always shine in your workplace, whether it's a secular workplace or a faith-based workplace, it really doesn't matter. And if you are a man or you know a man that you love out there, here's some few things to keep in mind. Men have a tendency to want to be independent. They have a tendency to want to go it alone and not ask for help. And what we know is that men are going to be more powerful when they can operate as a band of brothers. That's what we learned from Todd today. So take that away, plus some other things. Go back and listen, and you'll pick up the other nuggets. And I'm going to close today with um, Bible verses that come from Luke, the 22nd chapter, verses 31 and 32. And it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And in the King James Version, it says, and when you have been converted, strengthen your brethren. And I just want to say that no matter what you've gone through in your life, no matter what has happened, because we know that Peter was a chosen vessel of God, and he's a pillar of the church even today. And yet his life was not perfect. He denied Jesus three times, but Jesus says, I prayed for you. And he told him, when you have been converted, when you have changed and been transformed, don't just keep it to yourself. Go out and strengthen your brethren. So that's the message for today. Thank you for joining me and see you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.